Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. You are listening to the Mother of All Talk Shows podcast with George Galloway. Now, Sir Keir, uh, upon being made a Queen's Council, when your hair was right dark, you said on video, it's ironic you're a Queen's Council as you had long campaigned for the abolition of the monarchy. Do you still stand by that, sir? Of course, a knighthood can make a big difference. Keir Starmer, the so-called leader of the so-called Labour Party, is outed this very day as a Republican, or at least he was. But he has a point, doesn't he? Surely in the 21st century. I, my eyes opened wide this morning when I saw that Her Majesty the Queen, God bless her cotton socks, has called on us, you may say commanded us, to accept Camilla as the Queen in the due course of events, of course. I can't accept that. I can't accept that Charles will be the king because I never picked him and I don't fancy him at all. I don't fancy him to stay out of politics and I think his politics are zany to be kind and generous, as is my usual want. I don't want King Charles interfering in parliamentary affairs. I don't want him interfering with his woke hug a husky, talk to the trees, green manias. I don't want him to do that. I don't want to have to pay for him to do that and pay him a very great deal of money indeed. I want to have a grown-up country. Once Her Majesty the Queen has passed, I want a referendum on what we need to do about Britain's governance, whether we should continue the monarchy at all, and if we should continue it, on what terms should we continue it? Why can't we pick Princess Anne instead of Prince Charles to be the next monarch if we are to have one? Do you see where I'm going here? A grown-up country, a mature democracy, has a right to decide who will be its head of state. I'm not arguing for an elected president, although if there is one, I'll run for it. I'm arguing for a purely titular head of state, like the president of Ireland, for example, like the president of Germany, for example, with no political power of any kind and no right to interfere in the political process in any way. The parliament could pick the head of state. A senate instead of the House of Lords could pick the head of state. For everyone who says to me what 
Do you fancy President Tony Blair? Tony Blair would never run for that office because then you'd know how much money he was earning and from where he was earning it. On this day in 1649, uh, the rump parliament of Oliver Cromwell passed the resolution to discontinue the system of monarchy. That was in 1649. Isn't it time that we in Britain had a grown-up conversation about this subject? Nobody asked me if Camilla should be queen, but I'm asking you in the poll that we've got running now, should Camilla be queen? A, yes. B, no. It'll be interesting to see how that comes up. I think that the British will be ready for such a referendum. I may very well lose it, although I'm quite good at fighting referenda. As you know, I won in Scotland, I won over Brexit, and I'll campaign with all my heart for a grown-up, democratically chosen head of state for Britain. I may lose it. I probably will lose it. But at least we'll have had a say on who is to be entitled to call themselves our head of state. Just my view, let me know on the polls, on social media and by calls what you think we should do about it. Also on this day or in the last day or two, somebody called General Colin Powell, now deceased, who was then the United States Secretary of State, actually went to the United Nations and told a pack of lies so portentous, so momentous, so murderous, that I hope he now resides in the fires of hell. Because Colin Powell's lie that Iraq had weapons of mass destruction in volumes, when even this vial could wipe out New York City or whatever else, he said, it doesn't get more serious than that. And of course it was echoed uh, by that uh, friend of liberty, plain Jack Straw, still plain because having been caught in a Chinese takeaway by Channel 4's dispatches, with a camera up their jumper, selling himself to a fictitious company to the highest bidder for 5,000 pounds a day. Jack Straw, our foreign secretary, and Colin Powell, the United States' foreign secretary, told a pack of lies that can scarcely be exaggerated because a million people are dead because of it. A million people. Imagine that. How high a pile of corpses that would be. That's what Colin Powell did on this day, all those years ago. But I'm asked to believe the current incarnations of Colin Powell and Jack Straw, when they tell me 
that Russia is imminently about to invade Ukraine. And the disturbing thing for me is that so many people who know that they were lied to by the same liars that are lying to them now are ready to believe this latest generation of lies and the latest generation of liars. That's truly disturbing to me. You know, Einstein said that doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result is a sure sign of insanity. Yet so many of our people are insanely falling for the same old lies, oftentimes from the same old liars, certainly from the same broadcasters and newspapers that lied to them before and are lying to them now about Russia, lying to them now about China, but who have fallen for it over again, as the WHO put it, don't get fooled again. And I honestly thought that more of our people would have learned their lesson than plainly have done so, because I see it in my voluminous correspondence on social media, where I have millions of followers who send me thousands of messages, tens of thousands of messages. And it's quite plain that many of our people are literally sheep being led by the same old suspects into the same old pen of war and destruction. The New York Times, which told us that Powell was telling the truth then, are telling us that Biden and Blinken are telling the truth now, even though Biden was a liar then and is a liar now. I'm looking on my screen at Blinken denouncing Russia for banning the German broadcaster Deutsche Welle without a single reference to the fact that this is in retaliation to Germany banning RT in German. How can people write that stuff with a straight face? And how can people be so stupid but to swallow it up? That's what I'm asking myself. I'm asking myself why we should boycott Joe Rogan in the United States, but we should take money from Sawbones himself, the crown prince of Saudi Arabia, who sawed a Washington Post columnist into pieces. I'm wondering why. We should boycott the Winter Olympics in China but embrace the World Cup in Qatar. I'm wondering why you're all so stupid out there that you cannot see 
the contradictions in all of this, that you cannot see these lies, that you keep falling for them over and over and over again. And then there's Boris Johnson. He's got a new broom. He's sweeping out the old in Downing Street, although whether all of them had to be pushed before they jumped is a moot point. But he's just appointed as his head of communications, Gito Hari, a third division BBC presenter who failed to make it at GB News as his head of communications to sort all of Boris Johnson's problems out in Britain. Even though Gito Harry just a couple of months ago described Boris Johnson as sexually incontinent and dragging the Conservative Party and Britain to destruction. The same Gito Harry that was a lobbyist for Huawei, which we have banned in Britain on national security grounds. The same Gito Harry that was a campaigner to remain in the European Union when Boris Johnson's entire shtick is that he got Brexit done. Gito Harry wants to take Britain back into the European Union, just like this block of wood, just like the BBC and the liberal media and virtually every working journalist in Britain today, just like virtually every broadcaster in Britain today. Talk about clasping an asp onto your breast. If Boris Johnson thinks that Gito Harry is the answer, it must be a very stupid question. But the real question is this. In this sea of troubles, in which we are afloat, at home and abroad, is there anyone serious out there that think Boris Johnson or Keir Starmer are the answer? Is there anyone who believes that this ramshackle, dysfunctional, utterly failing state of ours is the best that we can be? We are the people that invented the steam engine but I arrived just in the nick of time for this show tonight because of an utterly, calamitously mismanaged, underinvested, hodgepodge, Heath Robinson railway system in Britain in 2021. Our gas prices are about to triple and this man's Labour Party wants our energy sector to remain in the hands of the vulture capitalists who snapped it up when it was privatised 
He opposes the return of energy, of water, of railways back into public ownership. Is there anyone who believes that this is as good as it could be for us? Our people is a great people. Our industrial revolution transformed the world. Our inventors, our engineers, our builders, our shipbuilders, our miners, our nuclear technicians, our fintech technicians, our artists, our musicians, our writers, our language. We were kings once. Now we're waiting for Charlie to be our next monarch. Let's hear from our first guest. Andrew Koribko is an American political analyst who specializes in US-Russia relations. A pretty important time to be specializing in that. Andrew, welcome uh, to the mother of all talk shows. Uh, in my opening remarks, I said that I didn't believe a word that the American deep state had to say because I've been there before, uh, once bitten, twice shy, and all of that. Was I being too harsh? Well, you know, I want to thank you for bringing me on the show. Uh, in my personal assessment, the United States deep state cannot be trusted. They have a tra track record of being very unreliable, outright lying, and manipulating the facts. As we're uh, speaking about U.S.-Russian relations, and specifically the very tense situation in Eastern Ukraine, we need to remember what the local Donbass militia leaders have said. They've been consistently warning that there could be a false flag attack. Now, obviously, that's not going to be by the Russian Federation. According to them, it would be staged by Kiev or Kiev's U.S.-led Western intelligence agency allies. So I believe that the situation is actually just as bad as you said, that uh, you were definitely not too harsh on them. Uh, you actually had a pretty realistic assessment because the situation is tense and is very serious. I think everyone has the right to be very concerned. Well, I've said from the beginning, Andrew, that Russia will not invade Ukraine, but Ukraine might invade those areas of eastern Ukraine uh, populated overwhelmingly by Russian people, many of them Russian citizens, in uh, absolute breach of the Minsk agreement, which they signed uh, that these areas could have autonomous status within Ukraine. Are there signs that that might be happening? Yes, we do see those signs. According to both Russia and the Donbass militias, Ukraine has assembled over 100,000 forces across the line of contact, and wow. there has been an uptick in shelling. What's very it's funny, I never read that, Andrew. I keep reading about 100,000 Russians massed in Russia, but I've never heard the figure 100,000 Ukrainian forces on the line of division inside Ukraine. Yes, and one of the reasons why this is so concerning is because our Russian intelligence has warned that if Kiev is encouraged by its U.S.-led Western uh, patrons to uh, initiate a third round of civil war hostilities in Donbass, this wouldn't just be a humanitarian disaster. 
And it would also be a military one, of course, but it could serve as the pretext for the United States to uh, deploy strike missiles to the region. And Russian intelligence is also very concerned that these might potentially be hypersonic missiles. Now, because the risk is uh, assessed as very credible, that's why President Putin made the decision to publicize Russia's security guarantee proposals at the end of December. And these proposals have thus far served as the basis of Russian-American and Russian-NATO diplomacy over the past uh, six weeks or so. So I believe, to, to answer your question, could there be some type of attack? I believe that there are forces in the United States, the American deep state. And to clarify what I mean by that, I refer to the deep state as America's permanent military, intelligence, and diplomatic uh, bureaucracies. And there are different policy-making factions within there. In particular, the anti-Russian deep state faction in the United States has an interest in provoking the scenario not only so that they can have their uh, enemy number one, so to speak, for NATO to rally around. Granted, that's not working so well. I mean, some NATO countries are not on board with this. We see the German example, for, for instance. But they also hope that by doing this, the United States so-called pivot to Asia to more aggressively contain China can be stopped and redirected back towards Russia. So you kind of have these two factions, the anti-Russian and the anti-Chinese deep state factions vying over which of these two great powers should they prioritize containing. Donald Trump wanted to focus on China, but now, and Biden seemed like he wanted to focus on China too, up until the past few months when this anti-Russian faction seemed to have uh, been back up to their old tricks. And we see the situation now is very serious. Russian intel is very concerned. President Putin is directly involved. We have this high-level negotiations. And uh, that's uh, presently the state of affairs right now. Let me walk that back. Um, I can understand uh, at least two reasons why the United States confrontation with China could be acute. One is that the Chinese political economic system is uh, a competitor, a contender uh, for uh, the way forward for the world. Uh, it's a communist country ruled by a communist government and therefore you could say it's, it's an existential threat to the American way. But Russia is a capitalist, European, white, Christian country. What, why would that be enemy number one for the United States? I just don't get that, Andrew. Okay, so I've actually been putting a lot of thought into that as well over the past few years. And my conclusion is that uh, it's precisely because despite the cultural and socioeconomic and historical commonalities with Russia, Russia still maintains its sovereignty. Russia is very fiercely independent. And uh, under uh, President Putin's tenure, I mean, he's been in office for uh, over 20 years now, one capacity or another, Russia has really risen from its knees and Russia has made sure that it's able to defend its interests. And I'm not just speaking broadly about interests here. I'm talking about socioculturally. They're very much against uh, hyper-liberal values being imposed upon a traditionally majority conservative traditional population. Despite being uh, involved in the uh, Western type of capitalist system, they still want to preserve national sovereignty. They don't want transnational corporations dictating policy, taking control of strategic resources. And pretty much what we see is uh, Russia sets an example 
that I believe the U.S. is concerned that other countries that are also culturally and historically similar in Europe, they might feel emboldened by this. They might feel like they want to flex their own national sovereignty. And quite curiously, uh, we're not going to have enough time to go down this rabbit hole here. Poland is, in a way, in its own way, kind of following in Russia's footsteps. Granted, they are anti-Russian to the core when it comes to regional policies. But the ruling law and justice party, which is comprised of uh, nationalist conservatives, they have been, in their own way, trying to advance what the ruling party understands to be Poland's national domestic interest. And to that end, they have been undertaking a broad range of reforms, specifically in the judicial sphere and the media sphere. Granted, they will never say they're influenced by Russia, and they're obviously doing this independently on their own. But I do think it's very interesting that you have two countries that are at odds, but domestically, although it's an imperfect comparison, you already see this effect of Russia having been the last bastion of national sovereignty on the continent for the most part, having actually now having some different peers. You also have Hungary, of course, but I find the Polish example particularly interesting because most people wouldn't think of Poland as under its uh, current leadership as flexing national sovereignty credentials and everything, but that's precisely what we have right now. Of course, again, we don't really have the time to go into it, but I encourage the audience to kind of do their own research and try to do some uh, comparisons between the two. I find the comparisons be quite interesting. Well, uh, of course, it isn't just uh, Poland and Hungary. Bulgaria has opted out, basically, of uh, of uh, Biden's response to the Ukraine uh, crisis. Slovakia, at least in the form of its president, did. And now the president of the Czech Republic has done the same thing. And most importantly, as you uh, alluded earlier, uh, Germany is very definitely not on board. And even France uh, is uh, making independent noises about the need for a European security architecture, which is not prey to uh, these madcap decisions from uh, Washington. But uh, as you say, we don't have unlimited time. So let me uh, pivot to Asia. Uh, one of the consequences of this uh, duality of confronting Russia and China at the same time is to ensure that Russia and China are almost now one, economically speaking, uh, I think increasingly militarily also, certainly diplomatically, uh, their geopolitical uh, worldview is the same. The Chinese president said this week, in the company of Putin, uh, we are not allies, we are much more than allies. Uh, this is the law of unintended consequences, isn't it, for American policy? Yeah, I would go as far as saying that when the United States attempted to simultaneously contain Russia and China around 2014, we saw what happened with Euromaidan in Ukraine, and that's around the time the U.S. stepped up its provocations in the South China Sea. That uh, unintended consequence, as you rightly put it, only pushed those two together. Granted, their grand strategies were already converging, but the United States' unprovoked aggressions against both served to accelerate that process. And with reference to President Putin's latest trip to Beijing, that really was globally game-changing because now everybody sees that uh, their grand strategies are fully aligned. 
they are definitely working together with one, with one another to synchronize the Russian-led Eurasian uh, Economic Union and the Chinese Belt and Road Initiative. This is going to unlock Eurasia's entire economic potential. We also see a lot of other world leaders were also in Beijing, and they're meeting with President Xi and other Chinese dignitaries. So what we're left with is the conclusion that with the United States, first of all, it should not have even tried to contain anybody. The United States should have tried to truly work with these countries and find a way to peacefully coexist and mutually benefit, in particular through economic, financial, and technological cooperation, ecological cooperation, and other manners in order to facilitate the irreversible emerging multipolar world order. But because they bit off more than they can chew, I mean, they shouldn't have even tried to concentrate on only one country, but by trying to concentrate on both great powers, which they pretty much serve as the dual engines of this emerging multipolar world order, all they did was accelerate the same process they wanted to indefinitely stop. And it seemed like under Trump, the American deep state concluded that they're going to focus on China. Biden seemed to kind of pick up the baton for almost, I'd say, about first nine to 10 months of his presidency. But now the U.S. is trying to redirect back towards Russia. And this deep state is just this deep state is very confused. And we see that. I mean, Europe sees that. Asia sees that. Uh, India used to be regarded as on board with anti-Chinese containment plans. Nobody can any longer make that as an objective assessment. India actually hosted President Putin in early December, and they signed a 99-paragraph strategic partnership declaration to reaffirm their existing strategic partnership. So that whole Indo-Pacific policy of containing China through the Quad, it's not working. That's why they want to replace it with AUKUS. So what we're seeing is they're narrowing down these Amer American-led military alliances. And you had mentioned the European front. And as we see, I mean, NATO itself is fractured. In the Asia Pacific, the American-led alliance system, it's not working as the United States intended. The United States is confused. Nobody can rely on it. We saw what happened in Afghanistan. It was a very shameful, shameful evacuation. I mean, nobody expected a country that declares itself a unipolar hegemon to be defeated like that and so swiftly by the Taliban. I think right now America is experiencing a crisis of confidence. It's unsure of what it wants to do, and the whole world sees that. But because it's so confused, it's also trying to destabilize the world, trying to create a so-called scorched earth policy out of desperation, hoping that it can find opportunities in the chaos. And that's why this current Ukrainian crisis, which is really a U.S.-Russian missile crisis, is very, very dangerous. Dangerous indeed. Uh, finally, Andrew, um, what should we conclude from all of this? Is America run by idiots? <laughs> okay, well, what, what, I, what I think, I think that these people, each faction is very clever in their own way. They're very pernicious and they're very cunning. But the problem in the American system is because these two factions, anti-Chinese and anti-Russian, granted, the two factions themselves are the problem, but accepting that they're unlikely to ever disappear anytime soon, the very fact that they're so fiercely competing with one another is creating a lot of chaos. I mean, you use the word uh, unintended consequences, and we see these unintended consequences aren't just globally on the geostrategic level. They're also domestically in the United States. The U.S. Uh, US uh, anti-Russian deep state war against uh, former President Trump totally destabilized the United States. I and mean, when we saw a couple of years ago the unrest that 
In my personal assessment, was encouraged by Democrats for political self-serving reasons ahead of the 2020 elections with Antifa and Black Lives Matter. That wasn't just a color revolution. That was a spree of urban terrorism. That was actually, in its own way, a hybrid war on America by Americans in some ways. And we see that, are they idiots? Are they super geniuses? Well, they think they're the smartest guys in the room. They aren't. Are they idiots? Well, there's a lot of idiots among them. But I'm more concerned about the devious ones that are really trying to divide, rule, and destroy because they're so desperate, not only to cling to power, but they delusionally, in my view, think they can expand their power, not only abroad, but also at home. With America divided and U.S.'s foreign policy divided, it's very unclear what's going to happen. But I'm cautiously optimistic that this Russian-Chinese entente will serve as a stabilizing force in Eurasian and global affairs. And that what just recently happened over the past few months, Putin in uh, India, Putin in China, this is a game changer. Rick, Russia, India, China, if they can uh, work out some of their uh, differences, and there are some trade and border differences between India and China. I'm confident that we will actually live and see this emerging multipolar world order. I mean, it's developing in front of our eyes, but it's moving faster than ever. And that's precisely because of the law of unintended consequences and masterful leadership by uh, President Xi and President Putin. Andrew, I'm sure I'm not alone uh, in the audience in thinking you to be an exceedingly clever young man and astoundingly eloquent to boot. Uh, how do people follow your work? Uh, you could follow me on Twitter. My handle was A Koripko, uh, K O R Y B as in boy K O. Uh, they could follow me on Twitter. I'm on Facebook and I'm also on Telegram and the Russian uh, social media site VK, VK.com. Fantastic. I, I really hope that we get to speak together again and uh, before long. Thanks very Thank much, you. Andrew, for coming on the show. Should Camilla be queen? Yes, 46%. No, 54%. Isn't that interesting? 1,700 votes cast. So if you can please uh, make sure that you vote on my Twitter, on my YouTube, on my Telegram. Uh, let's see if we can get this to a big and representative number. But I'm, I'm actually really surprised at that result. Yes, Camilla should be queen, 46%. No, she should not, 54%. And by the way, it's increasing uh, that, uh, that uh, margin. On YouTube, it's yes, only 25%. No, 75%. And on Telegram, yes, 24%. No, 76%. My Goodness. I was first caught by the fantastic name as a lifelong uh, fan and brief friend of the late and lamented Prince, the king of all he surveyed, by the name of a Welsh band from Merthyr called Paisley Park, but cleverly spelt with a C. They were brought to my attention by a very good friend of mine, uh, the owner of Hamilton Academicals Football Club in Scotland, the Thinking Man and Woman's Club, as I like to call them, because in his spare time, in fact, for most of his time, Colin McGowan is working for a charity called Blameless. You'll know I've been involved in them now for uh, quite some time. They work to help the blameless children 
of drug addicts and alcoholics. You couldn't get a more blameless and yet harrowingly disturbed and troubled section of our community than little children whose parents are addicted to drugs and alcohol. Colin McGowan put me on to Paisley Park. I went on to YouTube. You'll have to do the same because for copyright reasons, we can't play their music. And I found them to be absolutely astounding. I cannot believe that this band, Paisley Park, will not be one of the biggest things in rock and roll and very, very soon indeed. And so the opportunity to interview their manager, Gary Griffiths, manager of the band Paisley Park, was too good to pass. And Gary's with me now, I hope. Uh, I think the band might be there, but we, yes, they are. <laughs> How fantastic Hello. to hey, see George. you. Oh, How are you? Is everybody called Griffiths in Mouth or Tidville? It seems, uh, I, I, I think so. I, I know about a dozen Griffiths in Mouth or Tidville. Gary, I thanks for George. joining us. Hey, George, you were, I know you were down there at Merthyr Rising a few years ago. I was. I've yeah. spoken at Merthyr Rising more than once, and uh, I've know. spoken actually many times in Merthyr. Yeah. I really love it. I love South Wales, and I'm not surprised, given the life uh, that people in South Wales have had to live with economic disaster, uh, with, with disasters like Aberfan and so on, the death of... Uh, traditional industry, the deindustrialization of the valleys, uh, that this wonderful band of yours has emerged singing about real things, about real life. Tell us about them, will you? I, I will, sir. I will, sir. And, and to be honest with you, I think one thing I'd like to say about Merthyr Tidville, as, as tough and as rough as it's been for all of us, especially these young kids, uh, and it's, it's their learning about what we've done, you know, and how they've grown up. Um, it, it all, it's, it's also a wonderful town. It's a wonderful town of opportune. And it's, it's, a, it's a place that's got lots of character, as you know. As you Total know. character. And the people are absolutely wonderful. Absolutely. They've been, asked, what I mean is they've been, they've been betrayed uh, by the politicians, by the system, and it has produced this wonderful band crying out for justice. I know, and, and, and the, guy, the guys here, they wrote, they wrote a song, they've, wrote, they've written many songs, as, as you know, George, but uh, this one song that they've written uh, most recently called Mean Streets, and it is about Mean Streets, it's about growing up, and unfortunately our lead singer can't be with us t tonight, he's, uh, he's tested positive actually, but he wanted me to tell you the story of his feelings when he wrote it. It was about growing up and he was young and he, and he got slightly intimidated by the whole sort of, you know, how, how a young person can go out and very, very quickly the, the, the situation can change because of drinking and because of alcoholism and because of, you know, the, the drug-related stuff. And when I met Colin, and let's be honest, Colin, who's the founder of Blameless, they do some fantastic work up there in Hamilton. And I, I, got, I got to say this, um, George, when I played in the track that these guys have written and, and, and recorded, he, there was a tear in his eye. He was absolutely, and it was a, such a connection between, because it's not just about Merthyr, it's about every city, every town in this country. These young kids, they grow up 
And you know what? What they know, what these guys have done, is they've they've they've, they've turned to their music, they've turned to their guitars, they've turned to their keyboards and their drums, and uh, and, and they're going to take this world by storm. Well, I I just think that uh, I mean I played that track and then I went looking for others. I'm sure the audience will do so after the show uh, also. Uh, I, I, I was knocked out by it. I didn't bring a tear to my eye. I don't cry much. But it really did rock me back on my heels, the sheer power of it, the working-class power of it. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and there's so many other songs like that as well. But uh, through Colin as well, you know, I'd, I'd like to mention that, um, you know, we're lucky St. Luke's are there. They're hosting us on the 4th of March, and then we're going to to the, um, the Hamilton Aki's uh, Stadium on the 5th of March and we've got some gigs going up and all the proceeds, these guys are not going to take a penny. It's all going back into the blameless, um, you know... Um, oh, that's fantastic. Stuff, which is great. And, and you know, it's, it's, been, it's been lovely. For, I'm, I'm going to jump out for a minute. Uh, George, if you can ask the guys something about themselves, I think that, that would... Yeah, that we're, would we're, we've not well. got a lot of time. Just what, pick one of... Who's the most eloquent? I know all Welsh people are eloquent. Who's going to speak? Uh, I'll speak. Okay, brother. Go ahead. Tell us. Um, well, it uh, started off first as a four. It was Yayan and the singer Jack. They were best friends growing up. And they, Yayan taught Jack to play guitar. And naturally, they kept playing and playing. And then after a few years, they wanted to form a band. They knew Jack through uh, martial arts, uh, which they went to. They asked Jack to be the drummer. And it was actually me and the singer. We were in a party. He's good friends with my sister. And it was me and him. We stayed up playing guitar. And then that's how I formed in the band. And then during COVID, um, it, it gave us a good chance to stop gigging and actually write songs and try and expand our sound. And then we get invited Morgan down to a couple of practices. And he came with his uh, keyboard. And that's the way he uh, enhanced the sound and filled it out. Just it. Yeah. It's, uh, you look. You all look very young. What what, what kind of ages are the band? Um, deep, I'm 25. You're the old. You're the old man of the band, I think. <laughs> Who's the youngest? I'm a baby. I'm 20 years old. 20 years old. Well, I tell you what, lads. I know a thing or two about music. I'm a, a sax player, former double bass player, uh, and uh, I've been listening to music a long time. I predict a very big future for Paisley Park. Very smart oh, name, by the way. Very smart name. Who picked it? Jack. Very clever name. Lads, thanks for joining us. Sorry the line was not that great, but you got your message across. And everyone, after this show is over, please go on to YouTube and check them out. I tell you this, you'll be very, very impressed. Anonymous is on the line. In the UK, he wants to be called Anonymous. I don't know why, but he wants to talk about the economy. Mr. Mrs. Miss Anonymous, welcome. Uh, thanks for taking my call, George. The reason why I want to say Anonymous is that I work for a major polling company in the UK, and I don't want to okay. go against my terms yeah, and conditions. Yeah. No, that's so, fine. That's fine. Yeah. So, so I speak to the British population on a day-to-day -day basis uh, quite a lot, and, and we poll for opinions from the young to the old. Uh, and I'd like to share with you, George, my, my experiences working in that job um, across those 
demographics. And what, what's, what I find amazing is the older population are really quite upbeat, quite resilient, and they've, they've, led, they've led fruitful lives. Now, they've not, they've not lived through the World War II, but they've actually been youngsters during that period. And they're probably, uh, the main time was during the Macmillan, Macmillan, you've never had it so good years. Does that make sense to you? Yes, yes, indeed. And, and what I'm finding is when I'm pulling the younger demographic, which we're struggling to get the opinions of, is that I actually believe that they are going through a war-like scenario right now in terms of P PDSD, in terms of uh, not being able to go to work, not being able to meet people, not being able to have relationships, have to cover, have, wear masks. And I'm seeing a, a real significant result from that. Well, that's troubling, isn't it? It is very troubling because, I mean, one of my one of my recent polls was to businesses about their opinions on different things, and and I'm calling so many people. It's heartbreaking, George, because most of them have closed down, not had business, desperate, and I'm not going to swear because I get a lot of that on my uh, on my polls because that's how desperate people are, you know. It's, and the worst that, is George. yet to come, of course. Uh, we are, uh, we're going to be, by most accounts, uh, back to 2008, just around the corner. Uh, we already know there's uh, massive rises in, in uh, energy costs already now uh, unavoidable. Uh, and there's the increase in national insurance. There are uh, closures. Uh, just down the line, there's the Bank of England uh, chairman on half a million a year uh, saying that people should not be having a wage increase, even though he's predicting an inflation rate of 7% uh, by the middle of this year. In other words, a very significant drop in people's living standards just around the corner. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. It, 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 it's devastating. It breaks my heart when I speak to these people. Um, George, have you? Um, I, I, I watched today, and I, I'm, I'll mention on the channel. But Neil Oliver, Neil Oliver from uh, GB News, he had a great piece today about um, the the impact on the youngsters, the impact on you know. Uh, did, have you, have you, do you know Neil Oliver? Have you uh, well, uh, I've not actually met him, but we are. Uh, good friends uh, by text. 
I, I admire him very much. Uh, can I just, uh, and, and like here's, you know, for your audience, I don't want to distract from your channel because I listen to you every day for my, for my weekly updates, George, thank and thank you for that. Um, one, one thing I'd, I'd like to say to you, George, which I'm slightly disappointed is, is that you've not mentioned that uh, the truckers' freedom convoy has been defunded by GoFundMe. And, and, and I think that's one of the most important... It's uh, very significant, color. yeah. I did uh, actually major on uh, that issue last Sunday, uh, but not the defunding, uh, because that hadn't happened then. I just ran out of time, basically. Uh, but it, it's one of the most egregious acts uh, of state-directed theft uh, that I have ever seen in my entire life. Just to explain uh, to the audience... Uh, $9 million was donated freely by the public in Canada, in the United States, indeed all over the world, to the Canadian truckers who, whose heroic exploits I talked about at length last week through a platform called GoFundMe. GoFundMe has taken the political decision to seize that money and not to pass it on to the truckers. Even worse, in an act, brazen act of theft, uh, they initially said that they would not be returning it to the donors, that they would decide which good causes this $9 million theft would be donated to. The backlash has been very considerable, and they've backed down from that, and they are now automatically... Uh, returning to the donors $9 million. But the important thing is they have stopped it going where the donors wanted it to go. Last word to you, sir. It's like, check out Viva Frey. He's a Canadian YouTuber who has recently um, interviewed the counter-protest and uh, he, was, he, he got short-changed because Black Lives Matter, who are currently funded by GoFundMe, shut him down. Uh, well, in fact, Black Lives Matters are in uh, tremendous uh, legal difficulty and have been stopped from further fundraising across many parts of the United States over concerns uh, about what they've done with the many millions uh, that they receive from corporate and individual donors. Thanks for giving me the prod to uh, bring that up. I appreciate it. Tom is in Vancouver on the, on the truckers. Go ahead, Tom. Hi, George. I'm a retired truck driver. Welcome, sir. the team's the junior. And um, I'd like to tell you a few things. First of all, there's over 300,000 truck drivers in Canada. Uh, the Teamsters Union have about a third of those as membership. The Teamsters Union have not endorsed this campaign by these uh, renegade truck drivers who are fighting the COVID. Mm -hmm. They're fighting state mandates. They're fighting. They're wanting to be able to cross the border without having to get a vaccine. The Americans won't let them in without a vaccine. The Canadians won't let them back in again without a vaccine. Mm -hmm. They can't get across the border without a vaccine. No, they, they, the, the, the Canadian government issued a pronunciamento that mandated truck drivers to get vaccinated. And only thousands, only thousands of truck... Hold on. Thousands of truckers told them to go and do one. 
I'm with the truckers. Are you? You're wrong. You're wrong. The, the, the mandate was only if you were crossing the border or wanted to get back into Canada, you can drive anywhere within Canada without having to take a vaccine. You're dead wrong. Check your facts. I've, I've already checked my facts. I'm well aware of my facts. But let me ask you this, Tom. How come thousands of your fellow truckers have taken to the highway uh, in this protest? Yeah, well, out of 320 uh, odd thousand drivers in Canada, they are a small, small, tiny minority. Doesn't look very small, small, tiny minority to me, Tom. And I've seen the pictures. Well, yes, you may have, but they're still only a small minority. It no, it doesn't look like a small, small, tiny minority. Let me ask you one last question, because we're almost out of time. Are you? Do you believe as the Canadian Broadcasting Corporation does, that the Russians were behind the truckers' no, protest. I'm, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a lefty here, okay? I'm a socialist. Yeah, do you, believe, do you believe point. that the Russians were behind it? That's not what I asked you. Do, are you, like CBC, of the mind that the Russians organized this? Of course not. Excellent. Of course not. At least we've now, found. At me, least we've found. Me, we've at least we've found a measure of agreement, Tom, in Vancouver. It is astounding to me, as I said in my opening remarks, that so many people that regard the media as inveterate and complete liars, people who believe that the lying about. Boris Johnson, they're lying about Keir Starmer, they're lying about Jeremy Corbyn, they're lying about Donald Trump, they're lying about Joe Biden, they were lying about Iraq, are somehow telling the truth about China. What's wrong with you people? Let's see if it's the same in the United States, where my distinguished colleague and uh, a name that you should put in your mind because you'll be hearing much more of her. It's Rachel Blevins, who joins me from the USA. Uh, let's start with the, uh, with the um, Chinese, Chinese Olympic story, Rachel, because I saw, I know I was probably the only person in the world to see it, because nobody watches it anymore. I saw CNN almost give over their entire channel to anti-China propaganda, and yet still 17 million people watched an opening ceremony that took the breath away. 17 million Americans, I mean. What's the real view in America about this? You know, it's interesting because, of course, when you mention CNN at the moment, they're just trying to get people to watch their channel because their viewership is down over 77% over the last year. Uh, now, when it comes to the overwhelming majority of Americans, you know, I think we're in this place where we've had 20 years of this ongoing war on terrorism. We get to the end of that as the United States decides it. And then now they've decided that the two new targets are going to be China and Russia. And so you have a number of people who look at this, you know, new decided bad guy as it comes from the U.S. establishment, and they may have concern about that in one way or another. But then you have the people who 
just become completely, they get to the point where it's like, they've heard so much of this, they've heard so much of sort of the boy who cried wolf when it comes to the media and whoever their bad guy is of the moment that they completely tune it out and they don't pay attention to the consequences of all of that warmongering. They don't pay attention to what happens when the United States continues to ramp up its military involvement around the world, when it continues to you know, carry out these freedom of navigation exercises, as it refers to them, right around China and right around Russia. And they don't really pay attention to it until it becomes too late and until we get ourselves in a situation where we're now looking at a direct military conflict. And I think that when it comes to something like the Olympics, sure, there are some people who are going to boycott it and make a huge scene of it. But at the end of the day, does that really do anything for them in their daily lives? I would say no, not really. But boycott it for why? I mean, nobody seriously believes that the United States gives a toss about Chinese Muslims. The United States doesn't like Chinese, doesn't like Muslims. So why would it be in love with Chinese Muslims? I mean, you don't have to be the brain of America to work out something's going on here. You know, that is the question of the day, truly, and I think you put it perfectly. And it comes back to the fact that the American people, especially here, are still in a place where they don't have to see proof of something in order to believe it. And you would think that we went through this with weapons of mass destruction, and yet now we're in a situation where they hear any kind of figure, they hear, you know, a million Uyghurs, and they immediately latch onto that without ever having to see any proof of it, without ever having to question the government that is telling them that, the media that is telling them that. And then at the same time, it's like, we don't sit here and talk about the fact that the United States is engaging in helping Saudi Arabia commit a very real genocide in Yemen. We don't talk about the fact that we never get to see the images of that. We never get to see the aftermath of what those U.S. drone strikes look like and the people that are impacted by them. And so I think it comes back to the fact that far too many people are desensitized by this and they just hear something in the media. And yes, as you pointed out, even if they will sit there and say all day long, I don't trust CNN, I don't trust Fox News or the New York Times or whatever it may be, it's as if they latch on to this new theory and they say, well, I can't be the one to question that or to ask where the actual evidence is and why it's not being presented right in front of me. Of course, most of the world is there including the United States Olympic team, so they don't feel that strongly about it, or they wouldn't be there. Uh, the, most of the world's political leaders are there. Uh, the boycott is a flop. Uh, but most importantly, uh, the visit to Beijing by President Putin opened a new chapter in world affairs, didn't it? It absolutely did. And, you know, the United States should have seen this coming for miles, which is that when you take two major countries and you point to them and you say, hey, you are both our main targets, well, then that gives those two countries incentives to then work together and to look for different ways that they can come together and that they can rely less on the country that is targeting them, which in this case is the United States. And, you know, I know we've been talking about everything that's been going on in Europe when it comes to the skyrocketing energy prices 
that we've seen in recent months when it comes to the fact that Germany literally has a pipeline they just built in connection with Russia that they could be using to help crack down on those energy prices. And yet the reason that they're not seems to come right back to the fact that the United States has been warmongering and scaring them against allowing the Nord Stream 2 pipeline to go into existence and to provide the relief that they need in a great way. So then what happens? Well, Russia comes together with China and they agree on a long-term natural gas deal, which this is all that Russia has been asking for from Europe, is they want those long-term deals. They want to be able to give them natural gas at the lowest possible prices, but they want to lock in those long-term deals in order to do it. And Europe has said, no, we don't want to do that. Instead, you know, they want to go about ways that aren't helpful to their people. So what does that do for Russia? Well, then they go over to China and China becomes the customer. And it makes the United States look absolutely ridiculous because not only does it harm Europe in the process, it also puts the U.S. in a situation where these two bad guys it claims it has created are now working together to become even more powerful than before. Brilliantly put. Uh, lastly, Rachel, it's a busy night. Uh, how's Joe? Um, the last time I saw him, he wasn't looking that great. You know, he doesn't seem to be doing that great. And I think that, you know, we, we talked about how they don't really want him to give press conferences anymore, how he's tried to stay away from that. Well, this week, his administration looked absolutely ridiculous in the press conferences they did give, in which we had State Department spokesperson Ned Price sitting there refusing to answer the most basic questions about why the United States continues to claim that Russia is about to invade Ukraine. We had Press Secretary Jen Psaki sitting there, and literally when she was asked about how the United States knew how it had proof that a reported terrorist was the one who blew himself and his family up in Syria. She literally sat there and said, either you believe the United States government or you believe ISIS. So I think that Joe Biden, he may be staying silent now, but his administration is certainly saying a lot and it's not doing any of them a bit of good right now. They are in uh, trouble on that front because the worm eventually turns. And this was not some, you know, revolutionary journalist. This was the Associated Press accredited White House correspondent who simply said, have you got, you know, like any evidence of what you've just said? And he was yeah. treated as if he was a foreign agent. Uh, yeah. But this is, might terrify some journalists, but it must have a, an impact on the public credibility of what the US state is saying. Oh, absolutely. And it brings up the fact that, you know, we sit here and say, well, wait a second. We never got proof of weapons of mass destruction. The United States launched an entire war. More than a million people died as a result of it. So maybe we should ask for some proof in this case, especially when you have the Biden administration sitting there, not only saying that Russia is planning some sort of false flag, but now because they have turned into the boy who cried wolf, they are upping the ante and claiming that Russia is going to put out some sort of fake video in order to justify an invasion of Ukraine, well, yeah, you would think that more people in the media would be sitting there going, well, wait a second, where is your proof for this? How are, do you know and why are you claiming that this is going to happen? And the fact that just one reporter was able to say that and it made the State Department look as ridiculous as it did this week serves as a reminder of what the media should be doing every single day and what they refuse to do every day.
Rachel Blevins, as always, a delight to talk with you. Peter in Middlesbrough. Go ahead, Peter. Good evening, George. I've evening. followed you for many years, and uh, I agree with 90, 90-odd percent of what you say. But well, that'll do me, Peter. I'm... That'll do me. <laughs> I've, I've admired you, believe me, but we've never ever mentioned the Northern Ireland Protocol and the, pro the contradictions that are created by... We had, we, we, we had uh, somebody on it uh, last week. And, okay. and and we had the Liverpool professor uh, several times on it. Go ahead, Peter. What I don't like is everybody who opposes Brexit is labelled sort of right wing and, and and everything. But Sinn Fein, you know, support uh, support being in the EU. Well, they do now. They didn't at the time of Lisbon. Ah, but they do now. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that, that's the Blair. That's the Blairization of Sinn Fein. What about all, the, all of the all? I mean, the, the right wing of the Tory party are going to use all of this to destroy destroy the basic rights that we get from the EU. I mean, I, I what basic rights do we get from the EU? Well, uh, consumer rights, the quality of food. What well, can we can we not have our own consumer rights? Did we not have any rights before we joined well, I think, the I think EU? That's right. Tory party are going to use are going to, well the Tory party is going to use them to, to dilute them completely. Well, we need to get the Tory party out then. Well, that's right. Why, I mean, are, you I why are you asking Belgium and Holland and Romania and Bulgaria to look after us? Can we look after ourselves, Peter? Well, we, well, we can, but, I mean, we're in a modern world now, you know. I mean, we're the only country between us and the Ukraine, and we're the only one that's between them that's not a member of this. I, I, I just don't get the mentality of this. It is yes. such a supine attitude of helplessness, hopelessness. We had trade unions that won rights for workers and consumers and the families of those long before we joined the EU. We won equal rights for women. We won the Clean Air Act. We won rights for people long before we joined the EU. It's so pitiful, Peter, that you're expecting Johnny Foreigner to protect your food standards because you don't believe the British people are up to the job themselves. Be gone with you. Rob says, hell no, I'm not boycotting the Beijing Olympics. I want to see the Jamaican bobsled team pulling in a medal. Is that still a possibility? I know they did it once. Uh, D, I support the athletes. I support the youngsters that become inspired to become the next Olympic champions. I don't support the regime, but let's not blame the athletes or those that watch the games. Which, uh, which regime do you mean? Boris Johnson's regime? I don't support the regime. What's that supposed to mean? Graham354 says, why would anyone? It's completely stupid, and I'm not really interested in sport. All this anti-Russia anti-China stuff is going to end us all. I'll let you in on a secret. I'm not watching it either, but I'm definitely not boycotting it. I just have no interest in winter sports. Uh, Chicka Boom Boom says African Americans are more under surveillance than Chinese and Uyghurs combined. And Joanna Nairi says America supports all kinds of dictators and warlords, but that doesn't mean we boycott sports events in that country. And Ima says the Olympics are boring anyway. The Olympic Commission 
is also as corrupt as hell. And David of England says, no, I'm not boycotting them. I'm utterly disinterested. Honestly, I'm sick and tired of liberals pushing their liberal norms narrative, judging other countries with no reference to their own hypocrisy and historical crimes, such as the clearances, the annexation of Hawaii, etc. Very good, David. And Karen Downer says, yes, boycott, not one minute spent watching. And Support PQ says, China literally couldn't care less about Western propaganda. I think, I think they're hoping a lot of us don't come anyway. The West pointing at China and saying human rights abuses is unbelievable hypocrisy. Paul Williams says, boycott the World Cup in Qatar. Well, they'll never do that. And Leroy Drum says, for what reason should they be boycotted? Schumann rights abuse? If that was the case, I'd have to boycott the Olympics the next time they're held in the USA. And Liberty Bell says, human rights abuses against the Uyghurs, involvement in releasing a bioweapon on the world. Please. Pollution and stripping other... Pollution! Pollution! China's polluting the world! Oh, my goodness. We had a hundred years start on them, on that and stripping other countries' natural resources. We had 250 years start on them, on that Liberty Bell, killing wildlife for Chinese medicine. We would never kill wildlife, not us, tally-ho. The treatment of Hong Kongers. You mean the former British colony of Hong Kong, where nobody had a single democratic right or ever cast a vote for anything in the entire history of our rule of Hong Kong. A rule which I'll remind you, we took from them in punishment of their refusal to allow us to sell heroin on Chinese streets. Liberty Bell, you need to study more, dear. And James H says, can't sum it up much better than that. One day in the not too distant future, we will unfortunately pay the price for appeasing the Chinese Communist Party. Jamesy, why don't you get your tin hat on and go out to the uh, Straits of Taiwan and fight them? You idiot. And C. Rial says West has more human rights abuses than China, both in volume and frequency, but go off, I guess. And Paul C. says, not on purpose, I just don't care. And Sabre Crosby, I better stop now, I've got a lot of callers, but Sabre Crosby says, I think Queen Elizabeth will outlive Charles. He's looked ropey for a few years now. <laughs> Sorry, Chuck. David is in New York. Let's hear from him. Go ahead, Dave. Uh, hi, yes. Uh, regarding the situation in uh, the Ukraine. Yeah, um, yeah. Uh, I, I think, uh, as I see it, the Ukrainian leader Zelensky has really no options. Let me, let me go into what I think are three, three options. Yeah. Uh, under pressure from the Ukrainian white-wing groups, Zelensky has publicly rejected the Minsk Accords, which Ukraine had previously agreed to. Yeah. And if he, if he now tries to return to those agreements, he risks being removed from power by a right-wing coup. Yeah. So that's one option, but it's not good. If he stays with the current stalemate, the expense of maintaining a large offensive force on the border of the breakaway regions, over 100,000 troops, in a constant state of readiness, is an unsustainable expense given the already dire Ukrainian financial situation. Mm -hmm. So that option is, is not really good. 
if he, if he launches an offensive against the breakaway regions, that really would start a war with Russia. And the U.S. would label it as an invasion. And then they could say, see, we told you so. Of course, that would kill Nord Stream 2. And the U.S. oil industry would, would likely become a major energy yeah. supplier to uh, Europe. It would be very difficult. If, if the Ukrainian 100,000 troops invaded uh, regions which they have already signed uh, to allow autonomy, that would be difficult to portray as a Russian invasion, wouldn't it? Right. And that's why the whole idea of, of, of provocation. Uh, uh, but, that's, but it's not a good option. I mean, it's right. It's, it's, hard, it's hard to justify it. And, and it, it, would, it, would, it, would, it would benefit the U.S. oil industry because they become a major energy supplier to Europe, replacing Russia. But it would, it would hurt the European economy. And, and worse, it would, it would probably pretty much destroy the almost already distressed Ukrainian economy. So, so Zelensky has no good options. If, if you were Zelensky, what would you do? I'd go back to being a comedian. David, that was a great <laughs> call. Thanks very much indeed. Nick is in Serbia. They know a thing or two about NATO. Nick, what would you like to say? Yes. Hello, George. Nice talking to you. And you, sir. Um, look, I would just like to add my contribution. and I, I really want to justify NATO. It's a really defensive force. You know that. Ah. Tell that to the people in Serbia, where you're calling from, are you? Exactly. I am in Serbia, and I'm calling for that. And you see, Serbia is a superpower. It was threatening the security of NATO. But This is a wind-up, right? This is a wind-up. Yeah, it is. <laughs> uh, but you again, nearly had me uh, there, Nick. I nearly opened <laughs> up with the full Katusha on you. <laughs> Uh, but then again, uh, we had, uh, I, I don't know if it will be Sir Blair, I, I'm not sure, but... Not yet, uh, not if we can stop it. <laughs> okay. Then we had Sir Blair who invented humanitarian intervention. Yeah, he, inv he, inv he invented the so-called right to protect in his Chicago doctrine in the time of Clinton. Clinton was busy behind the behind the desk at the time, but... It was Blair that authored it, yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah uh, behind the desk, I remember that, yes. <laughs> um, but anyway, uh, so NATO is truly a defensive alliance. There's no doubt about that. I, I just wanted to uh, communicate that to you, George. Just in case we were otherwise suspicious. Thanks very much uh, indeed for that. Nick, you can still vote on the poll. Are you boycotting the Beijing 2022 Winter Olympics? You can vote on my Twitter feed, on my YouTube, and on my Telegram. Coming up is uh, one of my favorite guests, Tom McGregor, an American in Beijing, who's not just in Beijing, by the way, but was at the official opening ceremony. Now, I've already said to you, bobsleigh and ice skating and so on. It's not my thing. In fact, you need a round ball to attract my attention. If it's not football or snooker, you'll probably not get me watching it. Maybe boxing, although boxing's best days are over, I think. But uh, I certainly watched the opening ceremony, and it was utterly stunning, spectacular in the extreme. Uh, I've seen some great Olympic openings, but I've never seen anything like what we saw in Beijing. Tom 
McGregor was lucky enough to be there and he joins us now Tom have I done it justice it was breathtaking the opening ceremony literally breathtaking definitely certainly was very exciting I was there I was witnessing the uh, entire opening ceremonies I was uh, graciously invited to uh, watch and um, it was just a spectacular scene I it was absolutely amazing I definitely was very happy to be there with my wife to uh, attend. You must have been lonely though, you must have been the only foreigner there because everyone else is boycotting it, aren't they? No, I saw quite a few diplomats in attendance and uh, I was also with a group of uh, many foreigners. Uh, we were also invited as well. So it was, uh, it wasn't, I was not lonely as a foreigner. Uh, there were not many Americans though. I will admit that. I did not see many Americans at this uh, opening ceremony. Although America sent a team, so it's a strange kind of boycott, isn't it? Yeah, very odd. I mean, if they really believe there was a so-called genocide, why exactly do they allow the athletes to participate, but uh, not the diplomats? This is really, really strange. I'm not sure what is going on in their minds, but uh, definitely I was actually impressed by the U.S. athletes because their behavior was very good. They looked uh, very happy to be there, and they were very excited. And I even saw them dancing with some of the Chinese dancers there. Uh, the uh, Chinese will be bereft that Joe Biden didn't come. I'm not sure he would have survived the rigors of the journey. Uh, but Vladimir Putin was there. In fact, he was guest number one. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. He was very popular. A lot of the presidents who came, not only just Putin, but apparently from, I was talking to some people recently, uh, earlier today, and they were telling me that uh, they were closely monitoring a lot of the leaders who were coming in to watch because they're making some major trade agreements with those leaders. Apparently the Ecuador president, the Argentina president, uh, a number of uh, presidents in the South America are having a very successful trip, not only just to watch the Olympics, but also to uh, engage and get closer to China free trade agreements, as well as signing deals, uh, technology deals with Huawei to improve the uh, 5G uh, Wi-Fi system in their countries. Do you know that uh, China is the largest trading partner now of every single country in Latin America, from Mexico oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. down to Chile? Mm -hmm. And many of those countries' leaders have showed up for the Olympics, and they're very pleased with those trade deals because they know that they're benefiting. Uh, what, what happens is they see the China model, and they want to sort of emulate the China model to become very successful. Now, uh, what kind of impact is it having in Beijing? I presume it's spread out uh, widely in the country. Is it, I mean, has it become... Uh, something of a, an attraction for the local people, or are they just following it on curious. television? It's not like, yeah, I mean, it's a good question because a lot of people are expecting the Chinese to be super excited. Uh, it's sort of like an event. You got to realize that this is happening during the Spring Festival. So for the Chinese, this is like the Christmas and New Year's all rolled into one. So they tend to be more focused on their holidays. I think they probably pay a little bit more attention to the Olympics when they get back to work. Is it on television, though? I mean, is it? Uh, oh, can yeah, you watch it live? Yeah, yeah. It's What's the standard of Chinese television, by the way? Uh, yeah, it's on Chinese television, uh, and many people are watching that. Uh, a lot of times, they, they're 
very interested in the skating. Speed skating is very popular here in China. In fact, China have got a, an American citizen in their team, don't they? A, a girl oh, yeah, who was half Chinese, half American. She prefers to compete for China. Sure. Well, I mean, obviously she has the right to do so. Uh, in the past, American uh, U.S. athletes used to recruit teammates from other countries. So this is not an unusual situation. <laughs> so, I mean, it's not like this is a rare, shocking moment. I think it's just that what happens is that the Americans... It shocked them up shocked. Fox News, Tom, I'll tell you that. <laughs> I heard, I heard. They, de they devoted uh, uh, was, an entire segment into denouncing her. I always agree with his kind of views. Uh, I think sometimes Tucker Carlson, he has a, does not have a good understanding of China. I would love for him to uh, invite me. Uh, on his show so I can have a China conversation with them like I have with you. Because I don't think uh, Tucker Carlson is real familiar with the real China. So, Kung Hei Fa Choi, to your lovely Chinese family, how's the new year been for you? Oh, very relaxing. Uh, this year has been much more relaxing than before. I think it's because the Olympics have made a good spirit in China and that uh, it looks like we're sort of on the final days of the coronavirus. And I think people are ready to start moving on and get back to their regular normal lives. So this is sort of the start of the return to normal. Okay, thank you very much, Tom. Most kind of you to join us. Sorry about the hour. Uh, are you boycotting the Beijing Olympics? Yes, 46, no 54 on Twitter. Yes, 22 on YouTube. No, 78 on YouTube. Telegram, yes, 30. No, 70. 1,200 votes cast. And uh, breaking news, Senegal have won the Africa Cup of Nations for the first time on penalties. That was Mohamed Salah versus Sadio Mane. And Sadio Mane won. I think Egypt won it the last time. Did Mane get the winner? How fantastic is that? He'll be, he'll be popular back in Liverpool uh, with Mohamed Salah. Uh, John Lee Perry says, apart from Charles wanting it for her, why would anyone want to be called Queen after Queen Elizabeth II? And Gobarwala says, George, as a commoner, you have zero say in the matters of the monarchy of Britain. Capiche? No capiche, brother. No capiche. I'm a free man with a voice and a platform, and I will speak my truth, whatever you think of it. Gareth Walters says, George, you are the king. There you go. George, you are the king of truth and integrity. Long live King George. Gareth, that's so kind of you, unless you meant the mad King George. Uh, Anasti says... There should be no more royalty. This is not the dark ages. And Zenzamila says we need to start a petition to get a referendum on becoming a republic. I will do. I will lead that campaign. I've already told you. Skousalar says we shouldn't have a king or queen, but I feel that we always will. We as a country seem to be content with a family receiving millions of pounds of taxpayers' money for literally nothing, whilst millions of people starve and freeze this winter. And Colin says, talking about this today, actually, apparently 
The cost of having a monarchy is break even. Ha! Although I have not seen the research to back it up, you won't see it, Colin. You need to read the Right Honourable Norman Baker's book. It's called, And What Do You Do? And it is the whole case against the system of monarchy. And Mr Grumpy says, flag of United Kingdom, nothing to do with you. If Her Majesty the Queen says so, then yes. What are you, Grump? Are you, are you like 14, Grumpy? Or do you think you're living in the 18th century? If Her Majesty the Queen says, grow up, man. And Dinkles says, absolutely no, sorry enough. I can understand the Queen has done her job as she was told to in the olden days. But in this modern world, we need to move on. We don't need royals. It's really grotesque when people are struggling so much. And Neg says, pretty sure she's no longer with us, G, along with most of the monarchy. What's wrong with you conspiracy theorists? Uh, stop uh, dissing monarchy. Would you rather have a plastic president, says Kevin. I've done that one. Uh, and uh, some of these are actually unprintable, unread-outable, I must say. Let's go to Kenny and Acton instead. Yeah, Kenny, it's a one for the money. Good evening, George. Good evening, brother. How are you? I'm, ad I'm good, man. I'm actually in High Holborn just now. I'm currently working... So I've got my motorcycle parked, and I'm looking at her right now, and she's looking beautiful because I just polished her earlier on with Mr. Sheen and a chamois. Not, not the Queen, your motorcycle. That's right, my Honda I thought, you, I thought you meant you were looking at the Queen and you polished her with a chamois. That would have been less <laughs> a, that would have been less a majesty. What kind of motorbike I mean, have you got, Ken? I've got a cherry red Honda PCX 125. Well, that and, and is uh, you know a lovely, a lovely thing. Although, ever since the, watching the bridge over the River Kwai, I've never been able to buy a, a Japanese uh, motor. Uh, call me old-fashioned. All right. Well, do you know what I named her? I named her Ronda because she's a red Honda and uh, because I love the Beach Boys as well. Uh, it's a very nice uh, name. Yes. Uh, cherry red is a lovely Colour. I've got a cherry red motor car, uh, but uh, a cherry red motorbike, that would be quite the thing. And you wear the leathers and all that, don't you? No, I just wear jeans, but I've got a protective motorcycle jacket, though. But I really should. The thing I really need to get is gloves, because if you fall off the, onto the road at 30 miles an hour, uh, your palms are coming off your hands, and I'm, start, I'm led to believe that's even worse than breaking a leg, you know? Yeah, I, I, I can well, yeah. uh, I can so well, I really need well to believe get a that. Pair of gloves. Now you're a legend, yeah. Kenny, and there's another legend just appeared on the okay. order paper. Well, I want Norma. to sing a song before So give us Norma a quick song, sung. will you? Okay, here we go. This is from the film Fun in Acapulco. Oh, great movie, by the way, great movie. Yeah, it's good. Here we go. Pedro the Bull was a killer, king of the bullfight arena. He'd wipe up the floor with each brave matador, then have matador stew for his dinner. He heard the crowd shouting, Ole! But he met his master that day. The bullfighter was a lady, and it was true love at first sight. 
Her red cape was waving, but Pedro was shaving. He wanted to date her that night. Pedro the boo, he was smitten. First time the love bug had bitten. He once was a mad bull, a wild and a bad bull, but now he was mild as a kitten. The crowd there were starting to hiss, but Pedro just wanted to kiss. The bullfighter was a lady, and Pedro, he liked what he saw. Fantastic. He floated on air with the rose in his hair as he walks with that sweet matador. Bravo, bravo, Kenny. Excellent rendition. I'm only clearing off the line because there's another legend. Norma in Bristol. Go ahead, Norma. Hello, George. Not much time. You couldn't um, follow that, could you? Well, it's about music I'm talking about. Okay. And that's singing, and I'm going to talk about music. Um, Paisley Day's worst band. Um, those young people, they look good. And Fantastic. I'll have a listen. Yeah, to them. One was 20, songs. and the oldest was 25. Makes yeah. you feel old, Norma. Oh, well, I am old. But, uh, Norma, I do you know, get... let me give you a fun fact. What? The Beatles broke up 52 years ago. 52 mm. years before that was the First World War. That puts a lot of things in perspective, doesn't it? Well, I suppose, but to get to the point that I was trying to make, George... Go ahead. <laughs> is that, um, my son, he does... Um, he actually is on a radio programme in Britain and he interviews a lot of young groups. Uh, but... I do feel, though, that the um, classical composers are rarely mentioned. Now, on Private Passions today, they had this lady, Barbara Taylor Bradford, and she had a beautiful lot of music. Puccini, favourite operas, Tchaikovsky's One Lake, and Beethoven's Moonlight Sonata, and that man enough. And, you know, it needs promotion as well. There's a sort of invert snobbery, I think, about classical music. Well, well I um, was, I, I played in an orchestra, and we, we play, uh, we play Radio yeah. 3, we play Classic FM uh, all the time. Far from prejudice against it, I'm prejudiced in favour of it, Norma. Yeah, and did you get, just to get this in, Bob Marley would have been 77 yesterday. That's right, and he was asked if he'd become a rich man. He said, how do you define riches? Yeah. Do you think possessions means you're rich? Oh, he was a great guy, wasn't What he? a great man, taken yeah. from us uh, far too, too young. Yeah. So happy birthday in the sky, Bob Marley. No woman, no cry uh, oh. is one of my uh, favourites. The best to you, Norma, and Thank you. to your great husband. Uh, I hope the two of you see out this winter comfortably as spring is headed our way. It's time up for me, though, uh, but uh, God willing, I'll be here next week at the same time in the same place. It's been marvellous. I hope you come back and see me again. You are listening to the Mother of All Talk Shows podcast with George Galloway. 
What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.